Right on. Well, uh, I want to thank all those who serve so faithfully in our children's ministry. It's a, a great area under Pastor Jenna's uh, leadership. And so I want to welcome everyone. My name's Brad, and I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at uh, Jericho Ridge. Whether you're joining us in person or whether you are joining us in an online space, a special welcome to you this morning and a welcome to the season of Advent. And I don't know whether in your experience you grew up with Advent as a part of your tradition or not, but that word Advent means uh, longing or, or waiting. And so it's a part of the Christian calendar leading up to Christmas Day that helps get us into that space of readiness, that space of anticipation, which is often very hard to do because of the world in which we live. And traditionally, there are four themes to any season of Advent, and people will fight about what order they go in. But for us this year, they're going in the order of hope, love, joy, and peace. And so each week, we will have uh, someone light uh, the candle, and uh, we'll, we want to introduce you to some of the people that are part of the Jericho Ridge family. And so you might be meeting and seeing some new faces uh, as a part of that experience as well. And what we've been doing at Jericho over the course of the last number of years is it occurred to me a number of years ago that when we were preaching through and doing like trying to cover everything there is to say about hope in one week, it wasn't going very well. Everything there was to say about joy in one week and then skipping to peace and then love. It was just too much to cram into one season. So what we did is we just stepped back and we said each season at Advent, each year, we're going to take one of those four and explore it in a little bit more depth. And so we've been moving through each of those four themes and this is our last year doing that. And so uh, in this season in 2021, our focus is going to be on love. And the series title is Love is. We're going to explore what, what is love and what does it look like. And so all month long as we move towards Christmas, you're going to hear from different voices in our community expressing a little bit of their sense of this is what love looks like and feels like to them from a biblical and practical point of view. And so next weekend, you'll hear from Sandy Young, uh, who's going to preach on Simeon and what uh, Simeon's waiting experience looked like in Luke's gospel. And then you'll hear from Allie and from Steve uh, about what does love look like, meaning when we put love into action and give people uh, God's word in their own language. And so we'll talk a little bit about a lot of our global partners and how they're sharing the love of God around the world. Then Pastor Wally's going to preach on the 19th, and then I'll share on our Christmas Eve gathering. And just uh, to let you know as well, then we won't have a gathering on Sunday, December the 26th, uh, because our Christmas Eve gathering will be our focus on the 24th. And then we'll come back together in the first Sunday in January, and we'll talk about just healthy habits. What do those look like in our lives? But that seems like a very, very, very long ways away, so let's just stick with November and the first Sunday of Advent for now. We'll talk January later. All right, so uh, today we're going to uh, start by looking in John's Gospel, John chapter 1. And one of the things that uh, the scriptures are clear on when they speak about love, and particularly as it relates to Advent, is the notion that love is 
incarnational. And incarnation or incarnational is a fancy theological word that we use to describe the conviction that Jesus, as the second person of the triune Godhead, chose to enter time and space and was born as a baby some 2,000 or so years ago in first century Palestine. And, and this notion of the incarnation is a profound mystery. And it's something that Christians have wrestled with across various traditions and tried to give words to it. It's one of the most stunning and breathtaking visions of the Christian notion of God's interaction with humankind. The fact that divine love chose to show up, not just occasionally or angelically or representatively in some way, but incarnationally, in person, as it were. The incarnation is this radical act of God being present in our world. Not just historically, but actually it has impact for us today. And we're going to explore that uh, a little bit as we go through our time together. But at the same time that incarnation is this sort of radically present, uh, immersive uh, act, it's at the same time feels a little bit theological, theoretical, and philosophical in some ways. And, and that's really how John's gospel reads when you start. If you open up to John chapter 1, verse 1, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. And it says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word, being Christ, was God and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, Christ, existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to darkness. The darkness shines. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So this is the way that John actually chooses to begin to tell the story of the birth of Jesus, which is very, very different than the way that Luke does it and the way that Matthew does it. And if you think about it, it's actually a strange way to tell any kind of a birth narrative at all because it has almost nothing to do with the birth. It starts like way, way, way back before the actual event. And it, it's, as it were, like a wide-angle camera lens looking at this experience and this birth narrative. And it's as if the camera lens pulls way, way back to, to before time itself even began. And it attempts, John's working to try and attempt to put into words something that's almost impossible to try and describe. This sense of what does it actually mean in the confines of human language to try and describe the Trinity, to try and describe creative act of God, God bringing light and life into the world, and not only that, but actually coming into the world in which he created. So the, the writer John starts with this sort of wide-angle lens describing this, but then immediately it's as if he takes the camera body out, takes the long-angle lens off, and puts on a close-up lens right away because the next verse begins very, very differently. It moves out of the realm of 
sort of theoretical, philosophical descriptions and poetry and moves right away to a specific event. Verse 6 of John chapter 1 and following. God sent a man, John the baptizer, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light gives light to everyone was coming into the world. If you're reading this, it's really quite an abrupt shift. But it, it follows in line with where John is taking us in the sense of the birth narrative. See, sometimes we actually like to deal in the realm of ideas. But this shift right away shows us that God actually likes to deal in the realm of people. When God wants humankind to know something, God sends a someone in this particular instance. God doesn't just send sort of a disembodied message to everyone. God sends a messenger to people to give them a specific message about it. But see, we, we like to deal with things a little bit more in the abstract because people are often messy. And so when we keep things in the realm of ideas, and when it comes to a discussion about love and what love is, it actually begins to break down a little bit, the idea of love. And oftentimes we fall in, in love with ideas because they're actually easier for us to handle in some ways. So, for example, if you are single, you might have an idea of what it might mean to be married. And you might be very connected to that idea. And then you meet a real person and are like, oh, no, not that one. <laughs> that, idea, that person does not match my idea or my ideal in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but it's when we get up close to things that our ideas or our ideals actually have to figure out how they live in reality. Same is true with respect to community and Christian community. The idea of what a Christian community can and should look like then gets embodied in real people and it becomes much more complex and much more difficult when you have to live with the quirks of real people or when people let you down or don't meet your expectations. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer notes the difference between ideals and the real work of Christian community. He says it this way, every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is or can become a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He or she who loves the dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his or her personal intentions may never be so honest and earnest and sacrificial. And the reason for this is because non-incarnated ideas are easy to work with. But incarnated people, relationships, are much more challenging and difficult. Think, for example, of your expectations when it comes to a holiday, like going on vacation somewhere. 
I can remember uh, one time when we were traveling, we still had young kids at the time, and uh, so we were traveling with them, and we were going to go on a cruise with family members. We thought, you know what, it would be so great. After we spend all of this together in this time, let's just spend some time by ourselves as a family. And so we thought, well, we're coming into Florida. Let's just book something in and around where we're at where we get off the cruise ship in, in the port, and we'll just kind of find something there. So we looked online, and we thought, oh, this place looks really nice. You know, we looked at some of the reviews, and they seemed okay, and the pictures of the beach was right on the beach. That seemed really lovely. The pool, the pictures of the pool looked nice. And so we booked it, and we thought, this is going to be so great. We had such wonderful expectations of the holiday we were going to have as a family in Florida in the wintertime. But the one thing that we didn't quite account for, and frankly did not show up on TripAdvisor anywhere, was that this was spring break in Florida, in Miami, in Miami Beach. And I didn't put those things together in my mind. So I had an expectation of just a wonderful, relaxing time at the beach with my toddlers. Instead, what we had ended up in camping in the middle of was an all-day, all-night party festival from young adults all over the continent. So we didn't get much sleep in that particular holiday, and the expectations were not met because it just couldn't bear the weight of our expectations in any way, shape, or form. But these are the challenges that we face as human beings. We, we, we have expectations. We have expectations about what it means to love someone, to be loved by someone. And when they don't meet those in a significant way, it's challenging for us. But friends, this is the space where John presses into next, because the incarnation, as John lays it out, is actually a, a space where expectations are broken in some ways because love gets involved. Look with me at John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He, Jesus, came in to the very world he created. Could have had lots of expectations about what that would have looked like, but the world didn't recognize him. He came, not just generally, but he came to his own, to his own people, and even they rejected him. See, love, incarnational love, is messy. It's about getting down into the muck and into the mire of real human experience where we live. And this is perhaps one of the most stunning aspects of John's revelation and account of the incarnation is that this sense of coming was not well received. The sense of, of hospitality was not well provided at large. There was rejection and non-recognition. And, and when you think about it through that lens, the incarnation by God was a very risky move because it involved the possibility of rejection. Proximity in relationships always involves the possibility of pain, the possibility of being misunderstood. You can reject an idea, and that's not a very difficult thing to do, but when you reject a person, that involves a differing level of relationality and hurt. But despite this, Christ came. Knowing this, Christ loved 
So John continues and says this, the word, Christ, became human, made his home among us, was full of love, unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen, John says, the glory of the Father. He's seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The message translation puts it this way. I like the the language of it. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Up close, next door, proximate. Because when you love someone, you move toward them. And this is why, to me, when I hear a phrase like thoughts and prayers, when it's respected to love, it falls a little bit short. I mean, I get it. People are saying, you know, with respect to flood victims, oh, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Now, there's great intention sometimes behind that phrase, especially on the prayers part, right? And the thinking about you is a helpful piece. But if we stop with just thoughts and prayers, we haven't actually moved into that space of incarnational love yet. I'm going to show my age here, but as DC Talk infamously said, love is a verb. (laughs) Meaning that love actually gets expressed through actions. It's not just about ideas or thoughts and prayers. It's not just sentimentality. God's saying, oh, I love the world. No, God so loved that he gave his son. Love is expressed through actions. And so if love is expressed through actions, then one thing to ask is where are we seeing love on the ground in action in our lives and in our world? Or where are you and I being called to love others specifically and tangibly and sacrificially. And so that's why we want to give opportunity for these T3 kind of moments of love. We want to express practically to nurses in the maternity ward, we love you, we support you in this. We want to practically say to people who are homeless in our society, we want to help raise funds so that you can be well provided for. We want to practically stand with each other in times of need in this season. And there's lots and lots of examples that we could point to in the life of Jericho Ridge. But I want to invite Ian uh, Daniel up, and we're going to talk for a few minutes about an incarnational act of love that Ian undertook for uh, other people around him in this uh, season. And I want to, just before we start into this, I want you to know that Ian is up here as a reluctant storyteller. So uh, what I mean by that is I know Ian to be a man of of deep humility and character. And so this is not, this story is not about, oh, wow, Ian's such a great person. I can't believe he did all that, right? So I just want to lay that out for you right here and right now. Although, to be fair, I think Ian is a great person and is an awesome person. But uh, as Ian and I have been in dialogue over the course of these last couple of weeks, what 
what I have seen in Ian is a person who's just willing to respond to what God's putting on his heart. And I want you to know just a little spoiler alert about the story, about that you were all involved in this in some way, even though you didn't know it at this point. So, Ian, why don't you just walk us through the last couple of weeks of experience for you? Well, the, the, the problem with uh, presenting myself as uh, an example of somebody living incarnationally is I got a mirror at home and I know what I'm really like. Um, but... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually today, two weeks ago, is when the rain started, and uh, we headed up country uh, uh, with great uh, anticipation that the roads would be pretty clear and, uh, and empty, uh, and they were, except they were very flooded and uh, people were having such great problems. Anyway, we ended up, uh, we got to our destination, no problem, but uh, as we needed to get home again, we flew home, left my vehicle in Kelowna uh, to pick up some other day. And as events were unfolding on the news, trying to think how were we going to get the vehicle home, and, and could I, with a clear conscience, knowing full well what had transpired in Princeton, where we had driven through just hours before their dike broke, um, could I, with a clear conscience, fly to Kelowna and drive an empty vehicle back through Princeton, kind of closing my eyes to what's going on there, come home and sit down with a cup of tea and look at the news and, and uh, say, boy, isn't that too bad? So. A couple of days before I went up, I decided to uh, get on the phone to uh, uh, people in Princeton, got some contacts here from local folks, and uh, just asked them what they need. I thought it might be food, but uh, no. Uh, they had lots of food, save on foods that got a triple order in, so they had more food than they knew what to do with. But I, well, what is your need? And they said, dehumidifiers, fans, buckets, mops, extension cords, soup, soup mix, Oh, and we can't seem to find any eggs around. We really love some eggs. So I, uh, I set about trying to find all this stuff, sourcing it in Kelowna before I flew up there. I spent 90 minutes on the phone with a guy from the home hardware store, and he had been through a flood when he'd managed a store in, uh, in Alberta, I think uh, Canmore. And so he, uh, he knew exactly how the people in Princeton felt, and better still, he knew exactly what they needed. So between he and I, we uh, sourced some dehumidifiers, which are actually pretty hard to find this time of year. You can't find them at Costco. You can find them in, in the summer, but not right now. Um, and uh, we loaded up my vehicle. Um, he discounted everything in the store as maximum as you could possibly. Need. Oh, we got a big markup on that. I can take that down for you and so on. He gets the whole order together at this discounted price, and then he looks at me, and he takes another 35% off the price of everything. Uh, and he helped me load my van, and uh, I then just stopped at Tim Hortons and got myself a coffee and rode food and, uh, and headed off to Princeton. And you've never seen such happy people to see dehumidifiers show up. And, and I was trying to think, why did they ask? They, they said, we need tons of uh, external extension cords, like high-quality uh, waterproof extension cords. I thought, why is that? because the power has been turned off to a lot of homes because they're uninhabitable. They don't want people living in them, so the power is off, they're behind yellow tape and so on, but they still want to go in there and work. They want to get them dried out. So they have that entire town running on extension cords from one end to the other. Um, it was amazing. It was absolutely an amazing experience. Uh, I didn't need to eat for two days coming home. I just, you, you can live on that. You really can. Um, but. It's a, uh, I'd say, trying to move from 
the age-old question of what would Jesus do to what is the Holy Spirit asking of you is, uh, is really where it's at. Uh, uh, and, and every now and then, we all get it right, and sometimes we all get it wrong. Um, but that was, that was one of the right days. It was really good. And uh, I came home and told a friend about this experience, and, and because he's a close friend, I told him, you know, how much it had cost, and he says, uh, can I split it with you? So he, he wrote a big check, just gave it to me, so that has since gone back up to uh, Princeton in um, a gift certificate, gift cards for Save on Foods that the local pastor up there is giving out, so he can enter the lives of all these people, he can walk through the door with a, with a tangible uh, encouragement, um, and there's going to be more. I, I, I'm, I fully intend to uh, uh, keep developing these contacts that I've stumbled upon, the Lord has given me in, uh, in Princeton, I'm sure when the roads are open, I'll be doing something again. I have no idea when or what it's going to be. It, it could be insulation and gyp rock. I have no idea. It's whatever, whatever they need. But um, that's, it. that's it. Yeah, right on. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, was also happening during this. Just remember last weekend at our uh, AGM, I stood up and said, listen, Jericho, we want to send you into activation mode. You know, if you're in a place and you see a need that needs meeting, you let us know. We want to stand with you. And so I found out a little bit of some digging of what Ian was up to, and I said, hey, we as a group want to stand with you. How can we help? And so uh, we talked about it, met Friday morning as uh, elders and, and prayed it through and worked it through and said, let's just cover the other half of those costs uh, out of the Benevolence Fund here at Jericho, uh, which, we, which we, you have been a contributor, many of you have been a contributor to. And so we want to make sure that people that need help are getting help on the ground. And so you were a part of that story of actually this whole week behind the scenes, God doing something in and through people uh, because you're part of the body here at Jericho. And so, Ian, I'm grateful for you uh, to just being attentive to that, and, and I want us to receive collectively that sense of the challenge that Ian's saying, that whatever it is that God is saying to you, um, to be catalyzed in, in some way. And so here's the way that I would phrase that for each of us as a call to action. Who are you being called to love this Advent season? Who are you being called to love this Advent season? And you may not have a great answer for that uh, in the immediate. Something might come immediately to your mind. Maybe you think, oh, we're having family over and there's some challenging relationships there. I'm going to need to be called to love in a unique and particular way as we get closer to each other and spend time with each other. Maybe for you there are people in your workspace or in school that you find challenging to interact with in some way. And so God might be putting it on your heart to say, actually in this Advent season, the way that incarnational love is going to work for you is that you're going to be called to stretch yourself in love for them and to them in a meaningful way. And sometimes this takes us on very challenging journeys. I love what uh, poet Wendell Berry says of Advent. He says, Advent, with respect to Advent, it gets darker and darker, and then Jesus is born. 
And so the journey toward love for you in this Advent season might take you through places of darkness. It might take you up close to people who are challenging to love in your life and in your world. And so the worship team is coming and we're going to respond to God in song. But as they do that, I want to just give us a moment of pause to just sit with this question. And so we're just going to sit in silence for about 60 seconds. And if you're at home on the live stream, I invite you to join and participate in this as well. Just sit with the question, what are and who are you being called to love in this Advent season? And then when that time is up, I'll lead us in prayer. Let's just be open to God's work and gentle whisper in your life. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are faithful to set in front of us invitations that are uniquely appropriate to us. And regardless of the size of them, God, we desire to be people who say yes to love. And so we, we rejoice that... Um, the scripture reminds us that as the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so I have loved you, remain in my love. And so we know what love is because you have showed us what love looks like. You have modeled it for us, Jesus. And so I ask for a renewed and sensitive heart in my own life, in this community, that we too would begin to explore and lean into and live into more fully and deeply what love looks like as incarnational expressions of love. Hands and feet. Pragmatic. Prayerful. So Jesus, teach us what that looks like. Teach us what it means to love well. We ask this in the empowering name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Friends, we're going to move into uh, a time of response in worship, and uh, we also respond in prayer. And so our in-person prayer team this morning will be Pastor Wally, uh, Meg Sumner, and Gary Stevenson. They'll be available at the back. And you may want to just wander to the back there at some time uh, during our musical response. And you may just say, you know what? I actually don't know who I'm being called to love this season. Could you join with me in prayer and actually ask God to cultivate some holy imagination in my life and in my heart? Maybe you know and God put something on your heart and in your mind in that moment and you think, oh, this is going to be difficult. And you want someone to stand with you and resource you in that way. You don't have to give them all the details. You can just say, I need you to pray with me because this is going to be a challenge for me this season. And just invite uh, partners into that process. Maybe you already have a good plan in place and during worship and song you just need to get your phone out and start texting somebody and say hey let's get together for coffee or let's activate in some way. Who are you being called to love 
this Advent season. Move into that space knowing that we can do this because of the empowering work of the Holy Spirit and because Jesus showed us what love looks like. So let's respond. You're welcome to stay seated or stand as the team leads us in worship and song.